Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, the Independent Podcast Network, and the Family Podcast Network. We're on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM and 820 AM across Central Virginia and 1650 AM in Hampton Roads and Wednesdays at 1 PM on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that is PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. And today we're thankful to be joined by Vicki Parks, the CEO of Wythe County Community Hospital in Southwest Virginia, for a personal conversation about her work and her experience as a breast cancer survivor. So welcome to the program, Vicki, and thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Julian. I really appreciate the opportunity today. Well, it really is our pleasure. So for the benefit of our listeners, we approached Vicki and her team at Wythe County Community Hospital about joining the podcast after seeing a Facebook post in October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month about her personal breast cancer experience with early detection through mammogram and treatment. We'll discuss that journey in a moment, but something that struck me about the post beyond the main story is its honesty and vulnerability. One of the unfortunate side effects of this current moment in a post-COVID world is rising incivility in society and mistrust in institutions generally, and how such attitudes have specifically impacted hospital and healthcare providers who already face the highest risk of workplace violence among any industry. In thinking about this problem, it strikes me that while there isn't a magical solution, authentic communication with patients and communities may be one small strategy to try to cut through some of the skepticism we've seen. I recognize that this is quite the philosophical mouthful here, Vicki, but I wonder (laughs) what you think about that, particularly as a leader at a hospital serving a more rural community where I imagine views on COVID and related issues have been mixed. They have, yes. And and our hospital is no different from any other. We are definitely seeing an increase in patient civility, as you called it, um, especially in our emergency department. Um, People's fuses just seem to be really short um, lately. Uh, I do think it is an outproduct of COVID because they just didn't get that social interaction for a period of time. And so we just try to take a really patient-centered approach. And, you know, with my diagnosis, I know we're going to talk about that later. I could have either tried to keep it quiet, tried to keep it, you know, something nobody knew, or I could be very vocal about it and use it as an opportunity to help others deal with similar situations. So that's kind of the route I took. And we do the same in our ED. You know, not everybody's happy when they come to the ED. But if we do have patient complaints, you know, I go around on those patients and just try to be as honest with them as I can, you know, about their wait times, about, you know, things they're experiencing. And and, and that does seem to help to have that personal interaction. That communication and really just being candid with people and being transparent with people. As you said, you know, rounding on patients and explaining wait times, things like that. That bit of communication, I think, really can be helpful. Vicki, your professional journey in healthcare spans two decades and has included leadership roles at hospitals in North Carolina, Kentucky, and Alabama. Well into that journey in 2019, as we just mentioned a few moments ago, a mammogram led to a breast cancer diagnosis for you and subsequent treatment. Getting unwelcome health news is never easy, but I'm curious to hear your experience going through the emotional process of absorbing that news getting adjusted to that new reality with the help of your support system and your transition from healthcare professional to patient and what all you've learned through that process. 
Absolutely. It was a huge learning process for me. So my family background, I I knew I was at risk. My grandma on my dad's side had breast cancer. My mother had breast cancer. So I've always been very high risk. I did have genetic testing. I was negative for that. But you can't rely on genetic testing because mine was negative and I still got breast cancer. So just what I would want to encourage people to do, my statement that I like to say is knowledge is power. People are fearful to go have that first screening mammogram. They don't want to know if something's wrong with them. But because I did do that screening and because they did catch it so early, my future is bright. I mean, there's no reason I won't survive and beat this at this point. So I would just encourage people to make sure they're taking that first step to get those screening tests, whether it's for prostate cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, whatever the screening test, they they really need to have those done and then, you know, deal with the result. And I think you'd asked a question about dealing with the result. Mm-hmm. Just what, yeah. what you've learned from the experience in that process. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, transitioning from a hospital administrator, I was a COO at that point, to a patient with a diagnosis was eye-opening for me. It helped me make many changes to our processes. Um, sometimes a cancer diagnosis, some of the treatment seems a little cold and informal. It just seems very cold sometimes. And what I mean by that, I'll give you an example, for radiation therapy, They have to mark your body. So when they are actually marking your body for the radiation, they actually draw on your body. They put stickers on it. And and that, to me, was horrifying as a person Mm -hmm. because I just just felt like I had lost my dignity a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I had to sit with my team. This was my team. I had treatment at my facility that I was working at at the time. So I had to sit with them and understand why they had to do that and then help them understand how they needed to better explain to the patient why they were doing that and what the purpose was. And I think they learned a lot from that as well. But yeah, so being a cancer patient in the hospital you work at, pretty much I joke about it, but I felt like half of the hospital had seen me without my shirt on, you know, just that's one of the very personal things about breast cancer is, you know, is that you have to get over that that shyness. They are there to help you. I felt like I got the best care I could have ever gotten. They knew me personally and they wanted to take care of me. And it's an interesting point that you raised there, which is that going through that process really gave you new insight and enables you to have conversations about explaining the process to patients. Because as you point out, folks who work in a clinical setting who are used to their roles and the processes that go into treatment plans, that may seem routine for them. But for a patient who is experiencing that for the first time, it is a foreign experience. And so again, that goes back to what we were saying earlier about just that clear communication. So I appreciate you sharing that perspective. Yeah. One other thing I would add to that is, especially for the women out there, 3D mammo is life-saving. If I had had my mammo at my facility where I worked previously. They did not have 3D MAMO. That was a facility in Kentucky. So I I made a conscious decision to wait until I moved to North Carolina to have that MAMO um, because they did have 3D MAMO. And it was called it a stage one. I, I truly believe in my heart. If I had had my MAMO at my previous facility, I don't think they would have called it for, uh, for the whole year. So it would have grown for an additional year. 
For some additional context, we should point out that each year in the U.S., about 264,000 women and about 2,400 men are diagnosed with breast cancer. Of those, about 42,000 women and 500 men lose their battles with breast cancer. It's estimated that one in eight women will develop invasive breast cancer during their lives. You talked about the importance of early detection just a moment ago through annual mammograms and the importance of regular screening. I wonder where, if you're comfortable discussing this, where you are now in your treatment process. I described you as a survivor, uh, but where are you in your treatment process at this point? Yes, absolutely. So my diagnosis was in October of 2019. Well, actually, my mammo was in October of 2019. My actual diagnosis, I received the first week in November. And again, I wasn't really surprised. I have always been very careful with this because I just felt like my risk factors were very high. So I wasn't really surprised with the diagnosis. You know, at that point, it became, how am I going to handle it? Like I said before, am I going to internalize this and not talk to anybody about it? Or am I going to use this as an educational opportunity for the community that we serve? So that's kind of the route I picked. And, you know, I mean, I went through the normal process. I had um, a breast MR after the diagnosis uh, to make sure there wasn't anything they were missing. I did a lumpectomy. I was fortunate. Uh, Mine was small enough. I was able to just have a lumpectomy. Um, my margins were clear once they got that tissue sample examined, and so everything was good there. I did do radiation. It was kind of optional um, because mine was so small, but it improved my chances of survivability. So I definitely wanted to do the radiation, so I did that. And I actually completed my last radiation treatment about a week before COVID hit. So my heart really went out to those people who were trying to do their radiation treatment. Now they were having to wear masks. They were having to take extra precautions just to get the life-saving treatments that they needed once COVID hit. So I was very thankful I was able to stop mine prior to COVID. So that, that worked out well for me, but it did give me extra empathy for those patients that were having to experience that on top of their cancer diagnosis. So currently, I still take um, uh, tamoxifen. It's it's one of the drugs that you have to take for breast cancer. There are three different ones. You take uh, the one that is prescribed for the particular type of breast cancer you have. I wasn't really aware of that when I was diagnosed. There are multiple types of breast cancer. Um, mine was HER2 negative, which is very good. Um, HER2 negative can tend to be a very aggressive cancer. So I didn't have to have chemo like some people do, um, but all of it is just very descriptive uh, based on the type of cancer that you actually have. Thank you for, for being so transparent and candid and, and sharing your journey. I will say I can relate to your comment about concluding treatment just before the onset of the pandemic, and this is obviously not an analogous situation, but um, I ruptured my Achilles tendon in early 2020 playing basketball. And it was in January of 2020, and I got surgery in February, and obviously oh. the pandemic hit yes. in, in yes. March. So I can certainly, uh, on some level, relate to that Absolutely, because your surgery probably would have been postponed. Exactly, yeah, it was a non-emergency procedure, absolutely. Yep, yep, I can definitely see that. And, and many people experience that across the U.S., you know, and it's very unfortunate that that, that happened. Indeed. A few moments ago, I mentioned and I alluded to your professional health care career path, mm-hmm. which is, which brought you to With County Community Hospital in December of 2020 as CEO. It, that was in the throes of the COVID-19 pandemic. In July of this year, the hospital celebrated its 50th anniversary. 
We know that healthcare is constantly evolving as a field with a host of new opportunities and challenges, particularly for some rural providers, which you mentioned a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. Having reflected on the hospital's history, what is your vision for future progress at with County Community Hospital? Our vision is really bright. Um, however, as you mentioned, that is not the case for some hospitals across the U.S., especially rural-based healthcare, um, because what you're seeing is, you know, with more insurance denials, more staffing challenges, more supply shortages, you're just seeing those rural hospitals struggle more and more. We fortunately are part of LifePoint Health, so mm -hmm. we have been uh, very blessed with a lot of support from our corporate partner, from, you know, helping us with staffing issues to supply chain shortages. We did just celebrate 50 years, um, so our mission is to make our communities healthier, and, and we have done that for 50 years, and we feel like our future is very strong. Um, the town of Withful is actually growing, which, again, is not something you're seeing in a lot of rural communities because of COVID. A lot of businesses went under during that time. The mom-and-pop restaurants, the mom-and-pop, you know, just local stores, a lot of those went out of business during COVID because they just couldn't handle the financial burden. But in Withful, we're actually growing. We, in the town of Withful, or with County, actually, they received the largest award, I believe, by the Virginia Industrial Development Board that has been issued, and it's $750 million for Blue Star. Mm -hmm. And Blue Star is going to produce nitrile gloves, you know, those things that we use mm -hmm. every single day in healthcare. Um, we don't currently manufacture any of those gloves in the United States. It's all done overseas. So um, they have already started on the chemical plant, and they will be producing those gloves hopefully within a year to a year and a half from now. Well, I know there's been a lot of effort through the Virginia Economic Development Authority and through the Go Virginia Initiative and, and other programs to really try to bring new investment into Southside and Southwest Virginia. Yeah. Uh, where some, some of their legacy industries, you know, have faded, you know, furniture making, textiles, things of that sort that right. faded over time. So Right. They have done a really good job in Southwest Virginia because we are definitely seeing the benefit of some of that. Well, that's good to hear. Well, Vicki, I want to thank you again for being with us today. Before we conclude, it is a tradition here on the Patients Come First podcast to ask each of our guests a pair of quirky personal questions to close things out. Okay. To keep things interesting, we have a list of 10 mystery questions from which you can choose. Oh, So dear. if you would, please pick two numbers between 1 and 10, and I'll ask you the corresponding questions. Okay. Let's go with 3 and 9. Okay. 3. With the understanding that this is a family-friendly program, Tell us one unpopular opinion you have that runs contrary to the general consensus. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> um, well, I'll use the call example. Um, my physicians here get upset with me because our bylaws require that they have to take 10 days of call. Um, this is a nationwide issue, call in rural hospitals. I feel like that's something we owe to our community. We need to be able to provide those services to our community, and I do feel like our physicians need to be on call for that. It's not a popular decision, but it is one that I'm standing by. Okay. Hold on to those convictions. And then you said number nine. Nine. If you were miraculously granted one wish, what would you wish for? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um I think I would wish that um, everyone would have ex access to health care. That's not currently something that we have. Everyone needs to be able to access health care. And 
um, regardless of, you know, your socioeconomic status, everyone should be able to not be afraid to go to the doctor because they can't pay the bill. Um, we just need to be able to find more options to provide everyone with health care. Well, as you know, uh, Virginia has made significant strides in that regard. Uh, in 2018, the hospital community worked with the General Assembly and many other stakeholders, uh, making sure we give appropriate credit uh, to all who participated in the effort to uh, expand Medicaid. And yeah. as you know, hospitals in Virginia are funding the state share of that cost, which is hundreds of millions of dollars each year. Uh, and that's enabled close to 700,000 Virginians to gain coverage and access to care. As you point yeah. out, there are still uh, many Virginians, a significant share of Virginians, who don't have access to coverage or care. Uh, but certainly that's one effort uh, driven in large part by the hospital community to increase access to care. Right. So we always and want to point that out. Yes, no, and that definitely we did see a decline in our bad debt um, when they expanded that Medicaid. But we still, even with that, probably had about $7.5 million in free care last year for our community. So even with the expansion of Medicaid, there is still more that we need to do. Well, Vicki, again, I want to thank you for being with us and for sharing your personal story. And with that, that's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure you go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And once again, thank you to our guest, Vicki Parks, the CEO of Wythe County Community Hospital, for joining us today. So thanks. Thank you, Julian. I appreciate it.